0: What's up everybody? Welcome in and thank you for listening to Hail Yes, a Detroit Free Press podcast about the University of Michigan Athletics. My name is Tony Garcia, Michigan beat writer for the free, joined as always by our Big Ten insider Reiner Sabin. However, it's a new Reiner Sabin, a rejuvenated Reiner Sabin, might I say. You're looking you look like you have extra like color in your skin, refreshed, no MSU, uh, and no travel to 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 minneapolis this weekend for reiner you got to not not that you aren't one of our hardest workers always locked in i know and i know you tuned into the michigan game and where we have tons and tons to dive into but were you able to enjoy a saturday in october at least a little bit of it
1: well i was at a wedding in uh there we go northern michigan so it was uh it was okay i uh, missed a lot of college football actually which was kind of devastating in a, in a large way. Um, but yeah, yeah. No, it was, uh, it, was uh, it was okay. I had to, we had to race back home so I could get in front of my television to watch the Michigan Minnesota game. I almost Did fell asleep. You- I was like, I was exhausted too, and I almost fell asleep in the game. So, yeah.
0: and I got to imagine that makes the wedding tougher because I'm sure yeah. you were not inebriated covering the game. So now no. you're having conversations you don't care to be sober for probably fully yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. we're just we're, we're locked into it
1: it wasn't that kind of wedding there was, there was no open bar or anything like that oh, so okay. it, was a, it was a pretty it was a pretty tame tame event so uh the reception was nice but but tame see uh, i
0: peg you as just just a wild wedding and <laughs> like <laughs> that's when the that's when the gloves come off and and when, when reiner lets loose oh god um, that'll be a great time whenever we attend uh, our first wedding together. Uh, I don't know how we've gotten here, um, but maybe we've gotten here because Michigan is so impressive and so dominant, uh, and just thoroughly manhandled Minnesota fifty-two to ten uh, in every which way to the point where we in our pre-show meeting are talking about weddings and and Big Twelve championship tiebreakers and, and all sorts of things. Right, that are that is not Michigan. Because, I, I, I mean, just another great performance. So here's a little quick look ahead at what this show will look like. Our three thoughts: uh, Is this Jim Harbaugh's best defense at Michigan? Uh, and then, I mean, just there's there's a few there's a few levels to that sort of, uh, and just how the players, the talent, has grown. Um, then part two, now at full health, Michigan's really got some playmakers everywhere. Uh, which we knew, but this was the first time they were all on the field together. And then we parlay that into what PJ Flex said, Minnesota's head coach about um, just with some very high praise for Jim Harbaugh's team. Uh, and then after the break, uh, Reiner didn't get to see as much college football as normal, but I mean, I, I know he was still watching. We were as was yeah, I. I. I actually I actually like the, the, the night slate. Well, <laughs> I don't like the night slate. Noon is always a preference. However, the silver lining to the night slate. Correct me if I'm wrong, Reiner, is how much football we get to watch you, all the noons and and most of the three Right, You're doing a little right. bit of pregame stuff, but you can actually lock into those three pretty good, too.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. The worst time slot, if you're a reporter, is three thirty. Yeah, yeah. It's just or the five o'clock peacock that they did for Michigan State, Washington. That was just peculiar and really ruined everything for for me as far as being able to follow the day's of coverage and everything. So yeah, it's a uh, it's it's preferable for either noon or seven thirty. But yeah, seven thirty is good for if you want to watch a pretty steady. Uh, Diet of college football, yeah, and we'll and we'll get into that on the on the other side of and and some
0: just some of the circus acts that, that we saw uh, and, and and the impressive performances um, across the country, but no performance was more dominant, suffocating, what have you, maybe in the country than what Michigan did to Minnesota, fifty two to ten uh, yesterday at Huntington Bank Stadium, and. Reiner, sure, we can talk about Minnesota not having a great quarterback. Uh, yes, they were without the Big Ten's leading rusher, um, Detroit native Darius Taylor, uh, and, and, and all those sorts of things. But for me, this was more about the defense making a statement. I, I didn't. The defense made a real statement for me. Where are you on? Is this Jim Harbaugh's best defense?
1: Yeah, I do think it's a, a Jim Harbaugh's best defense because not only are they in year three of the the current scheme, the kind of multiple scheme that they adopted from the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, so they have a sound base. Everybody knows what kinda, they kind of their responsibilities and where they're supposed to be and how they should react. You know, to the various plays that they face, uh, and then you combine that with the fact that they've got, you know, some playmakers now and they're making plays on the ball. Like the first couple of years, the defense was benefiting from the offense and the the way that they milked the clock. So they were on the field for less time and they were able to kind of pin their ears back in certain situations and go after them. But sometimes now you're seeing the defense actually take the initiative and be the driving force for the offense. I mean, Case in point, the second uh, series, uh, or the first series for Nebraska last week where they got a tipped interception, that led to the second score for Michigan uh, to create 14-0 at, to, and basically put Michigan in position to route Nebraska. This week, you saw a second play of the game. Again, this was Michigan taking a pick six with Will Johnson returning it for a touchdown. And it was lights out from there. So I, this defense is setting the tone and making plays and doing things that they weren't doing even the first two years in the system. And I have to think it's because, again, the players are so much more comfortable in understanding ex- exactly where they're supposed to be and how it's supposed to work. And it's just a it's kind of just a cumulative process that has led to this point.
0: Cumulative. Certainly. It's it's the evolution, right? It yes, just- right. How um, I mean, not only do the players have a better understanding of, of, of as, as you said, um, whether it's Mike McDonald, now Jesse Minter of sort of the concepts, the schemes that they are trying to implement, um, which and I, I want to go into that just for one more second, because that's it's so easy to say, right, like the understanding of a system, right, and knowing what you're doing and being in the right spots. That's one thing when you run just sort of, I mean, a normal fourth, a normal defensive, a four-three defense, uh, or like sort, of just like a base, simple, common defense, three-four, four-three, whatever. It is even Michigan is running, as you said, an NFL scheme at the co- collegiate level with this. Um, they've called it the amoeba defense. Um, it's very multiple in their fronts. I mean, you just, as you just said, you can they can go anywhere three. The base is four down linemen, but they can go three or they can go five. And that was the switch they made yesterday, right, um, at, at the half. Uh, when Minnesota is, is is making a little bit of headway on, on the ground, 20 rushes for 70 yards at the half, they go back in at, at, the, at, at the lock, or at the break, and Jim Harbaugh, I thought it was interesting, he said he actually wanted to make sure he spent some time with the defense instead set the offensive side just to hear the adjustments Jesse Minter was making. And what they did was put an extra defensive lineman on the field, put him out wide on outside the tackle. It's called a six technique. And that way your job is solely to set the edge because Minnesota was running a bunch of stretch plays, right? So you run run horizontally and then you wait and you let, you let the the gap sort of open up and then you hit the hole and you pick one, ABC, what have you often it was C uh, yesterday uh, sort of between that guard and tackle. Um, Michigan made the adjustments in the third quarter. Eight Minnesota ran eight times for seven yards. So it's that understanding of, of what you're being asked to do and being able to shift in real time on top of the fact that you said guys like Will Johnson, just straight dudes making plays.
1: Well, and it's a, good, it's a fusion of good coaching and really good talent that's uh, happening right now. But, I mean, even on that the, the pick six, I mean, again, they're in zone coverage. Macari Page basically is leveraging him to throw the ball into that window, and there's Will Johnson ready to make that play. Uh, I mean, again, it's defense is all about leverage and leveraging the ball into the right position. That's what Nick Saban likes to do at Alabama. I mean, basically getting that ball to exactly where they want the weak spot base, or the strong point of the defense and the weak spot for the offense, and that's what Michigan is doing now, and it's uh, it's pretty evident that uh, it's having a you know, huge impact on their ability to make plays uh, on and uh, You know, again, it's also that you're seeing, again, the more of the shift uh, when they first implemented this defense, they were incorporating more man and uh, coverage because that's what Don Brown re- – and you're seeing a slow, gradual evolution to more zone. They're almost playing exclusively zone at times. And in that kind of defense, it, that leads to more turnovers usually – because uh, you know your eyes are facing the quarterback, and so you're you're starting to see that. Where again, Keon Sab is reading Cal uh, Kamenis' eyes and just picks him off right there, and just uh, steps into a lane. For the, yeah, exactly. And then uh, it's lights out again for for uh, for Michigan uh, or for Minnesota. So I mean, it's uh, it's a very uh, uh, interesting defense to watch, and it's interesting to see how it's evolved. You know, in the last three years,
0: and when you look at it, it looks like <laughs> this defense isn't going anywhere. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like so. So what? I, what I wrote right. yesterday, um, because it's hard to keep. And and it's what I asked the players afterwards. what I asked Jim afterwards. I mean, and and, and I thought because Jim said these games are won on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, right? And the play and the players are saying, uh, like, there's all like there's always something to get better at. Because what we're asking is, how do you learn? anything when you're just beating the snot out of teams week in week out pounding 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 how do you not get a big head what can like what what can you learn and michigan now what they what they have learned is that they can overwhelm opponents and they are doing that now that they're at full at full strength and it's not not that they didn't know that but they were already they were already dominating holding opponents to seven six three seven what what have you but will johnson and and Mason Graham had never been on the field together at the same time. Who do you think pro football focuses top two graded defenders were for Michigan yesterday? It was, <laughs> it, it was though it was those two uh, 28 snaps for Mason Graham and 44 for Will Johnson. And those guys are sophomores. You know what I mean? And Keon sat another young guy, Ernest Hausman, uh, Kenneth Grant, Derek Moore. These are all guys who make plays serious playmakers, who are just sophomores, and some in their first year, like Ernest Hausman, in their in the first year in the system, right? Not that Hausman had a big game yesterday, um, but he's been he has, I mean, just something like that helping the depth of this linebacker room, right? So Junior Colson and Mike Bear are not constantly on the field. Um, I mean, Michigan's not even putting any touches on there. They, they are so deep; they're not even putting any any. It's it's how they're getting healthy. It's all it's all working together, right? They are so deep. They can limit the touches, limit the bumps, limit the bruises. Blake Horn ran the ball nine times yesterday. Nine times he had, and and he still is getting a touchdown. He still leads the has the most rushing yards on the team in the offense. And he and it's just ho hum. JJ McCarthy hasn't played in a fourth quarter in a fourth quarter, like a, a serious fourth quarter. Other than Rutgers, he was he was in like midway through. I mean. It's just it's, well, it's all it's all working together.
1: It is, and I think you know that's part of. I mean, if you'd notice on the broad, oh, you didn't notice because you weren't watching the game via broadcast, but on the broadcast they kept on mentioning the selflessness. And that's a thing that Jim Harbaugh is trying to push to the team, or it was it was clear that that was you know, something he wanted to emphasize during his press conference on last Monday, uh, basically because you know these he has to get these guys touches and keep everyone happy and it's tough and so uh you know especially if you're a star player you might want more more touches but i mean he's trying to sell this whole like you know holistic team or a complete team or a deep team and he's trying to make sure that everybody kind of stays content with that and uh, i think that's something he's really trying to emphasize and trying to impart on the team you know the, the the stats will come at some point but for now like we need to We need to emphasize this depth because uh, you never know when you know some of these players are going to have to you know step to the fore and help us out uh, at some point. So I think that that's a message that he's really trying to get across to the team, and they're trying to emphasize it in different ways.
0: Yeah, we've seen it already, right? I mean, the the offensive line: Darius Henderson is now the starter at left tackle, and Justin has gone from right tackle to now depth. Mm Trentay Jones, who started five years, I mean. And has moved in and out. He's never started this year, but he is depth on the line. Mm-hmm. And those tackle positions that they, as they continue to, to move things around. I mean, think about the snaps that Samaj Morgan and Frederick Moore are, are getting at wide receiver. Darius Clemens is getting on the field. Uh, now more that, that he's back to health. Of course, they have Roman Wilson and, and, and Cornelius Johnson. kal Mullings has fully carved out a role in the, in the backfield. He is the, sh- he is the short yardage back. He is the compliment to Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards is now a running back who is really the passing down back. That's really what that, how how this has, has evolved, right? And I mean even even if you look on the other side of the defense, just I mean they, they talk about um the, the rally group on the defensive line or Keon Sab with a, with a pick yesterday. I mean he gets his first start uh, um of his career, I believe. I need to go back and look. Against East Car- against East Carolina or maybe it was UNLV. I mean I mean he's getting a lot of reps early because Rod Moore is out because Macari Page is out. And now look what's happening.
1: Yeah, it's true, and I, it, it's weird. I'm, I, and again, I think Jim Harbaugh is wrestling with this because I think there's almost, in some ways, it, it's a great problem to have, but there's almost too much depth, and so he's trying to keep, you know, everybody kind of engaged and do this. But at the same token, I mean, he's got some star level players that he's kind of got to give more run to than than others, and so I think he's trying to find that balance, which is why he's emphasizing this selflessness and like. He's trying to get that you know, message across like he was talking about the law of gravity and, you know, hoping that, you know, personal jealousies don't in, in fact, in people are, you know, remain satisfied and understand the bigger picture. And I think that's that's something he's wrestling with right now. Certainly. That's a great mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. But I want I mean,
0: obviously, we're just on the outside, but it looks like they're doing a pretty darn good job.
1: Yeah, I think so. Balancing it, right. I mean,
0: I mean, okay. who, who, who's unhappy? Yeah. Who on this team is – I think they traveled with 75 guys, 74 playing.
1: Right.
0: Everyone is playing. right and, and, and that doesn't happen. I mean, <laughs> that number right. is usually in the 30s or 40s, right? Like maybe – I guess I guess if you're counting special team, maybe 50, right? Like like all the – I mean, it's probably not in the 30s. It's in the 40s, maybe 50, 52 guys see, seeing the field. A, a third of the people who you travel with are not playing. No,
1: I, I, th- I think I think he's again. There's probably across the board. The question is like, you know, your star level players are they are they getting enough what, run? I mean, there's players that came back. They're looking to you know m- make their name or not make their name, but like basically uh, achieve these you know, some of these personal achievements. I mean, I think that's natural. Any person is going to want to achieve the most that they possibly can. So like you know, somebody like like probably want to is going to want to get some more more carries and remember he he never has said that oh i want to have my car carries limited it's basically like give me the ball as much as you want to i mean uh, i'll i'll definitely carry it as many times and so it's it's trying to kind of keep the star players satisfied in addition to you know again building this depth and having these options available when you do need them and so i think that's the tricky balance that Jim Harbaugh is trying to find. And I think that's why he's emphasized that in the last week or so. It, it's, it's true.
0: And I want to we, – we can keep hammering it home, but yeah. I want to get on to, to sort of the, the next point about – I mean about some of these players, about these star players who came back, who made the decision yeah. to, and to get more touches. This is why Michigan is winning games 52 to 10. Like sometimes it's, it can be that simple. Like I had this – I look up yesterday – And five-star Will Johnson is scoring a touchdown. And then when he's done, five-star J.J. McCarthy is running one in on the left side and then running one in on the left side, or excuse me, on the right side. And then when he's not doing it, Blake Corum, perhaps the most decorated running back in the program in two decades, since his coach is pounding it in up the middle. And then, oh, by the way, we're going to just throw it over the top to Colston Loveland, who is maybe the second most talented, talented tight end in America, but behind, in terms of pass catcher behind Brock Bowers. So it's like, not only is Michigan well coached and understand, and, and not only is Michigan disciplined and well coached and unself- er, and like and not selfish, right? Like selfless is that's the word we're looking for. Um, but they're extremely talented. They're more talented than I I, I think I think you could say they, they've ever been. Mason Graham, Will Johnson. Uh, it's just it's it's to, to borrow a phrase uh, from from the program. It, the other in-state in program, Michigan State, it is relentless. Michigan is relentless.
1: Yeah, I mean, they've got, again, a t- talent across the board. I mean, Jim Harbaugh talked before the season that he thought this was the most talented roster he had, top to bottom. And uh, especially at you know key positions, I mean, they've got some real uh, impressive players. I mean, J.J. McCarthy, a quarterback. I mean, it's definitely the best quarterback that Jim Harbaugh's had since he's been here. Like Horem is the best running back he's had since he's been here. Uh, Roman Wilson is a good receiver. I, you know, I don't know if he's the best receiver that they've they've had. They've had some pretty good ones. Nico Collins being being one of them. And uh, but I mean, as far as college level players, yes, I mean you can make an argument that he's one of the best receivers that Jim Harbaugh has had since he's been here. Uh, Mason Graham, probably the best kind of run stopper, invasive defensive tackle that. He's had, um, along with, you know, Mozzie Smith has been obviously a very good run stopper. But Mason Graham, I think, has a little bit more oomph when it comes to, like, the pass the, uh, the, pass, rush, yeah. the pass rush and then, say, Mozzie Smith. So he's right up there. Will Johnson may be one of the most talented <laughs> corners, they although he's had Jordan Just... Lewis. And he's had really good uh, defensive backs since he's been here. I mean, that's one position that Michigan has really developed. Yeah. And D.J. Turner... I mean, just, you know, who who left the programming. And then Sandra Still, who's been quite defined and a great, you know, uh, move by the coaching staff to to move him from receiver to slot defensive back. And he's really hit his stride. This is his second year. Uh, I mean, he, he looked awesome last year. Uh, he looks even better this year, really, has a firm understanding of the scheme where to be and just understands route recognition, which makes them perfect for that position. So yeah, they've got, they've got guys across the board that are difference makers at their positions. And so that's, that's what good teams have. I mean, that's what the elite teams have. That's what the national championship teams have. They've got multiple stars across the board.
0: And that was without listing a handful of maybe not first round picks, but NFL draft picks on the offensive line. Uh, without touching the best tight end room probably in America, uh, Max Bredesen and AJ Barner are both gr- have graded out as top 10 run blocking tight ends nationally, uh, which is their main role. You know, you know what I mean? And, and it's just, it's just a conveyor belt on, on, on and on it goes. And so um, that brings us or me into how I want to wrap up this, this a block Uh with PJ Flax' assessment of, of Michigan, Minnesota's football coach yesterday said, I think they're the best football team I've seen in 11 years of being a head coach. I've never seen a football team that, that deep. I think they're the best football or uh, yeah, sorry. Copied, <laughs> copied and pasted the same quote twice. I, I meant to continue it, but that's the first half of the quote. Um, I mean, he called, he called them a boa constrictor uh, and just that they're disciplined, they're sound. I mean, all the, all the praises we just heaped on them uh, for the for the past twenty minutes came from someone who they care whose opinion they value much more than ours.
1: Yeah, I mean it was a, it was a encouraging comments to you if you're a Michigan fan to hear that from from an opposing coach uh, about your team and and w- what the quality of it overall. And I think again, Michigan's kind of entered that stratosphere that Ohio State occupied uh, when. I'm sure the same stuff was being said about them during the height of Urban Meyer era and the height of when they've been were dominating the Big 10 when uh you know Michigan couldn't quite get to that level. Uh Michigan's now at that level and you know again is now probably I mean I don't think anybody would argue is above Ohio State and so they're kind of seen as the the you know top dog in the Big 10 and that's been the way you know it's, it's been the last two years. I think people are trying to adjust to Michigan now. I mean, with the the way that they're trying to build teams, uh, you know, through you know, the offensive line and the def- the defensive line uh, themselves, and so they they've tried to adjust uh, the, the makeup of their team to match Michigan. And so, I mean, that's a respect level that's wasn't there maybe three years ago. That's started to build and build to the point that now. People see them like they did see Ohio State during that run when Ohio State was clearly the best team in the Big Ten.
0: Yeah. And it wasn't needed three years ago, right? Uh, Michigan has earned that, yes. that respect and, right. and proven it. 22 straight regular season wins since, mm-hmm. that, since that loss in East Lansing in 2021. I mean, <laughs> teams don't just do that, right? Like, like very few. Like Georgia is the only team. In, in, the, in the country, they that can, that can say the same. Um,
1: and yeah, so, yeah I mean, the athleticism, though, is also a key differentiator. I mean, as far as Michigan and the rest of the conference, uh, again, they've, it, it just becomes so apparent. I mean, it, the Michigan, the Penn States, the Ohio States, the, the, that level of athlete across the board is far better. But, I mean, it's become even more stark. These last couple of years are more. Apparent. Can you just
0: say it? Can you just talk about your conference? You're you tap dancing around it. But Reiner is talking about the depth of the SEC, ladies and gentlemen, and that it that Mich- and that the Big Ten's uh, talent is concentrated at the top, which I do agree with.
1: Yes, I, I mean, I, in my opinion, the SEC top to bottom, you, you don't have as much of a difference between the bottom teams. Uh, or the mid-level teams and the top teams. The Big Ten, the difference is stark. The you know the only a select few have the type of athletes that can compete on the national level, and Michigan is one of them now, and uh, you know, Ohio State, of course, and Penn State, and that's it. Whereas in the SEC, I mean, the 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 drop off in the talent isn't as substantial between you know say an Ole Miss and an Alabama or. Mississippi State and uh, you know, a Georgia. It's just not. It's just not as dramatic.
0: Yeah, I mean, take Auburn Georgia last week, right? I mean, Auburn is not. This is, that's a middling SEC team, yeah. and they and they pushed Georgia down to the wire. Now Georgia responded and beat the crap out of uh, Kentucky, like what fifty-one to fourteen or something this week. But a mid-level team pushed a top-level Big Ten team, and now you could say Maryland was pushing Ohio State. Yesterday, it still ended as twenty point uh, game. That they, they did push them, but no one's doing that to Michigan. That's not happening. Indiana's not doing it next week. Michigan State's not doing it the week after that. Purdue's not doing it after the bye. You know, you know, you know what I mean. It's just because because you're right. Um, the Minnesota was so overmatched athletically yesterday. Um, it used to be like in in the in, in the, the like the. Don Brown days, like you were talking about, early Jim Harbaugh days. Michigan was just suffocating the teams it was supposed to beat, and then couldn't hang with the with the with Ohio State. Yeah, they'd split against Penn State, but Penn State has never been at that upper upper level that they seem to be this year. Um, now it's just I well, mean, you're, you're just you're just waiting. You're waiting for two days.
1: It's true, and I think some of it. I mean, if there's one good thing that Josh Gaddis did bring was some of his perspective from speed the, the speed and speed. He did bring in people like Roman Wilson and guys like that. I mean, they they, they started to emphasize the speed mm-hmm. across the board and they they got a better level of athlete. And, you know, then you add in the fact that they brought in Mike McDonald uh, as a defensive <laughs> coordinator and they beefed up the inside. I mean, Michigan's defensive players up front did not – were an SEC caliber – towards the end of the Don Brown era. I mean, you had Carlo Kemp, who was like a linebacker at the pro level playing defensive tackle. Now you've got big, huge guys like Kenneth Grant. Uh, Mason
0: Graham is 320. Yeah. Kenneth Grant is
1: 340. Uh, yeah. No, these are fi- Jenkins yeah. is these are firepl- Yeah, these are fire plugs in the middle that are uh, clogging up. the. And that's what that's what they have in the SEC. That's what the top level teams have. They've got big guys up front. Uh Stout guys that can stop the run. They've got you know, speed across the board. Michigan's starting to look like those kind of teams, and that's that's why they have a chance to possibly compete for a national title here.
0: Michigan took its fifth defensive tackle on its on, in, on its rotation. Rayshawn Benny yesterday dropped him into coverage on third and three, and he batted a ball down and forced a punt. Mm-hmm. So that's it, it, it's. I mean, it's it's that it's that type of that type of non- nonsense that's going on. Um, just super impressive, uh, super super impressive. Um, and I guess that's a good t- time to sort of cut it as we as we will take a break and then take a bigger look uh, at the, at the landscape across America where there is co- chaos all around football, except in Ann Arbor. So don't go anywhere. This is Hell Yes. All right, Reiner, another busy week, uh, week six, now in the books of college football. Uh, we had the Red River rivalry. We had the worst coaching blunder. Um, I'm, I'm going to do my best to not get worked up. I really am. Uh, and I couldn't care less about Miami and Georgia Tech, but it, it gets me fired up just thinking about it. Uh, so let's talk about it. What, uh, what stood out to you? Um in, in, in of course in the in the lens of Michigan. Uh what was your takeaway from yesterday?
1: Well I thought the uh, Oklahoma beating Texas was interesting. Again, I think it's confirmation that the that program has shifted away from the Lake Riley era to Brent Venables. They were able to kind of create some turnovers, some some issues for Texas and uh gut out that victory. I mean, they lost forty nine to nothing last year. They come back and the same setting beat texas. So that was that was impressive to me and it indicates that probably maybe a Big 12 team is going to be in that college football playoff. Uh you know whether it's OU or Texas, you know and I'm sure they're going to probably meet in the uh, Big 12 championship game and settle it in, in Dallas in a different or Arlington I should say. This was this game was in Dallas. This, this other game will be in in Arlington. So it'll be in the same vicinity, but essentially, yeah, I think that that game indicated that there's probably going to be a representative from the big 12 in the college football playoff.
0: Right. One at the cotton bowl, one at Jerry world. Um, yeah. but I'm not, I, I need my pencil. I want to lead Corso. You not so fast, my friend. Uh, I'm just not sure that that locks a big 12 team in, 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 into the college football playoff. Because let's say they do have that rematch, right? And then let's say Texas gets the, the better end of it. They're both 12-1. and one. Let's also say for argument's sake that Georgia wins the SEC and ha- and keeps its spot. Florida State wins the ACC and keeps its spot. That's two spots, right? Mm-hmm. The Big Ten winner is getting a spot. No yeah. matter what. Mm-hmm. So that's three. Are you – which of those teams has – I mean – Say it's one loss Michigan or one loss Ohio State or one loss Penn State that does not get in, and their only loss is at Big Ten champion, whoever it is, on the road. Does but that team how, who who gets the nod?
1: Well, one of them the one one of them is going to be the conference champion, so I would think that whoever's the conference champion is probably going to get it, and and then you have the Pac twelve. I mean, I think it's. I think this is uh, such a wide-open year that it's going to be hard for any conference to get two representatives. Yeah. Now, that may end up being the case, but, uh, you know, this game showed that uh, that there's probably going to be somebody from the Big 12, assuming that they can obviously uh, finish out their schedule without suffering any kind of upset. But, you know, that's that assumption I don't know if I can make in any in any way, shape, or form uh, in this college football season. I mean, it, it's just – It is. It, yeah, there's a lot more clarity. There's a lot of cover It's October
0: 8th, <laughs> so, so we got a little bit of time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and I mean, just I I I don't I don't buy anyone in the big in, in the Big 12. You know, you know what I mean? I just I not I mean, and not I mean TCU, and I'm not just saying as a conference, I'm not throwing a blanket over it, but what I mean, and, and I'm not saying I don't buy Texas, I mean the path. Because any any the only chance what I mean is. A Big 12 team, the only big 12 team I see getting in from now on on for the rest, has to win out. I think Oklahoma has to win out. I don't think Oklahoma can lose any game and make it. And so and Texas would obviously have to win out. So I yeah. so, so I don't know. I don't
1: so I don't know that yesterday
0: changed anything. no. no I
1: mean, me. Right. But I mean if Texas wins out, I mean they, they beat Alabama and they would have beat OU. If you're assuming they're gonna win the Big Twelve, that's that's a strong resume, you know. And so, and they're a name brand, and that's why I think that they have both of those. OU, OU, OU's been favored by the committee before. I mean, they've they've gotten in, and so they've got a track record in the college football playoff. I think that factors into it when the, the committee's talking about teams that are now they've they've had some bad losses too because they were coached by Riley. I think it was Venables that they're a little bit more capable of competing in the college football playoff because they actually have a defense. And so so I think they're going to be looked at favorably by the committee. I think Texas is also they would love to have Texas in there again because of the whole Texas is back narrative. And you have the idea that it's a, it is a top level program. They used to have their own you know, network the
0: Longhorn network. Right. Yeah, but, right. But Brian, what I'm saying is it did not matter who won that game. Right. It did not matter. Because that the same was going to be true in reverse. If Texas won the game, if Oklahoma wins out, then they can get a rematch with Texas and, and what have you. And then if tech, like, you know what I mean? It was, it was well, two, but undefe- but it was two undefeated it was two undefeated teams who had the inside track. And I guess what you can say is Texas was the was the, the team that was on top, right? So right. they they will yeah. separate themselves. Now you got two teams hanging around the upper level sure. instead of one who is at that top level. Sure. I get
1: I that think it, yeah, I think, I think it just adds another, another team into the mix that you have to consider there. So, I, and it also, again... Gives but it, a but it,
0: but it diminishes, but it also diminishes the, the, the possible strength of your top competition.
1: Maybe, maybe if, the, if your top competition is, is assumed to be Texas. So, we, we don't know that yet. So, I mean, maybe OU okay. is the better team. And that'll be proven out over the course of the year. But I do think that there's probably, I mean, it seems to indicate that there's a good chance that a big 12 team may, may find his way into the CFP.
0: Yeah. And
1: I, I, it's, it's it's
0: certainly a good, uh, a good chance. And I mean, God, it's going to be, it feels like every year it's always sorted itself out by the end, right? It's always gone down to the four. Man has there ever felt like a time where it feels more like, this one's not gonna get sorted out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like 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 yeah, it it will. It will. Week by week by week. Like you know it's gonna get the picture will clear. Uh it will be less cloudy, but it just feels like there's gonna be like four, five, six might all be he said, she said, pointing and using different metrics and measures.
1: Uh well to- Michigan yeah. Michigan may hope that it's not a two thousand seven in some ways because we yeah. all know what happened after 2007 for Michigan. They hired Rich Rod, who lost, shockingly, to a pit that year. And that led to the dark days of Michigan. So I uh, bet they don't want a, a yeah, rehash of back. 2007. So yeah, West uh,
0: Virginia was number two, right, in that yeah, backyard ball, yeah, And they, yeah, have, they just but, had to beat unranked pit yeah,
1: to go to the national yeah, championship. Right. So, yeah, if you're in Michigan, you probably don't want to have that just from the historical context of what 2007 ultimately meant to the program—that
0: feels fair. Um, yeah. But if you're Michigan, what you do want is smart coaches like Jim Harbaugh, and what you don't want are dumb coaches like Mario Cristobal. And we must move on to because I mean, if you're talking about eliminate eliminating teams right from from the possibility of of the CFP, Miami was one of those teams. I mean, they would have had to they would have had to run the table pretty much in the ACC, um, but. Against against Florida State, I don't have their exact schedule, but against Florida State, against uh, Clemson, against Duke. I mean, there, there were there were teams, or chances, uh, Louisville. I mean, there's chances for good wins, right? Uh, Mario Cristobal should not be allowed back in South Beach. I know, I know you. Maybe you you differ from this. For those who missed it, the Hurricanes all they had the ball on Georgia Tech side of the field, like 25, with 40 seconds left. Georgia Tech had no timeouts. Miami snaps the ball. All they need to do is take a knee. And there's literally nothing that can happen except the clock run up. Inexplicably, Miami runs the ball, hands it off, (laughs) fumbles on what should have been the final snap of the game. Georgia Tech recovers, hits some ridiculous 35 yard shot downfield to get near midfield. Then, with 10 seconds left, Quarterback rolls right, throws another Hail Mary, and the worst,
1: maybe the worst part, Reiner. It, really it, wasn't, Hail Hail Mary. Hail, it wasn't really a Hail Mary. It's not
0: even a Hail like, Mary.
1: It was like a post corner or so, or, not, or, like, or like a post route, actually, I'm, yeah, right. if I'm thinking about it correctly. And he's just he's just going like un- uncovered. I'm, I, I'm I using the phrase Hail Mary. Like they are just throwing yeah. it
0: deep at some last shot but it's not like it's not a Hail Mary where all the defenders are lined up in along no. the goal line that, and there's that, a bunch of like receivers waiting for a jump ball. The receiver catches it in stride in the play of field uh-huh. and runs into the end zone. Reiner, hyperbole is used a lot in sports. I think that might be z- literally the worst loss I've ever seen in sports bar
1: none. It is it is a baffling loss, a ter- terrible uh indictment on you know Mario Cristobal, again given the fact that even before the game Georgia Tech lost to bowling green the same right? yeah. yeah just the week before, so this was not a, a prime Georgia Tech team, and again you had the win in hand all you had to do was kneel the ball but then to allow also the the, the these completions and allow them to come down the field in you know s- such quick fashion with like bizarre uh defense that you called I mean it's just it was a confluence of bad bad coaching errors and pretty unforgivable however I mean you can't just get rid of the guy uh they, they were ranked and they if they just did that one thing they would be five and zero right now so don't you, clearly, don't you
0: bring your logic into this don't you
1: bring your uh, logic into this clearly, clearly they're doing something right. yeah clearly they're doing something right but uh and the fact that he's an alum of that uh, institution makes it uh, less likely that they're going to uh, drop the hammer on him. But it is pretty unforgivable. I mean, it's just idiotic what they did. I don't know what they were thinking. And I can't even imagine what the discussions are like in the coaching meetings uh, this morning as they're reviewing this game. And uh, it's just, it's got to be, its it's got to be awful.
0: Like, I, I couldn't imagine. I could not imagine. Oh, the things I would <laughs> I would. Just, I mean, and
1: yeah.
0: maybe why I'm really, really struggling with it is because it's bad enough to be a one-off offense, and it's horrific, horrific, unforgivable, inexcusable. Any word you want to make, Mario Cristobal has done this before. At Oregon in 2018, the Ducks were beating uh, Stanford thirty one to twenty eight with fifty one seconds to play. instead of Stanford did have a timeout. But instead of taking a knee and and then Stanford calling a timeout, then taking a knee on third down, if you do the math, maybe you have to snap a fourth down play with a couple seconds left. Of course, people who are listening to this podcast know what can go wrong when you snap a final punt uh, mm-hmm. in the, in the final seconds of a game. However, it it, it was, I mean, All but, sir. I mean, you could have. I mean, they wouldn't have needed to punt because they could have just run backwards, right? They were up Mm -hmm. by. They were still up by three. If you snap it and run backwards out of your end zone, it's a safety, and you give up two points and you win. All it was. It was another example where all he needed to do was sit on the damn ball and you win. To not lose one game like this, but to do it a second time, and the fact he did not learn his lesson—that is the fireable offense to me. I mean, like, like I could have done it just for this one, but the fact you've done this before is just how could I possibly trust you in any situation that matters?
1: I mean, you make a good point. I Obviously the circumstances were slightly different. This one was a particularly egregious, obviously, because of, you know, again, they literally just had to kneel on the ball and the game's over. And you're not, you're not leaving any doubts whatsoever. Uh, you're not leaving the possibility that your defense is, going to forget to play defense for, you know, in the final, you know, X amount of seconds and let, allow them to get to go back practically the length of the field in that time with very little resistance. I mean, you know, surely that's probably not going to happen usually in most cases either. And yet they allowed that to happen again. it all could have been avoided if they just kneeled the kneeled the football. And it's, uh, you know, again, He'll never live it down. It'll trail him wherever he goes. And, I mean, this will probably be his last job. Uh, you know, again, I can't imagine another team is going to want to hire him necessarily unless, again, he is able to raise Miami back to that national championship level. Although now, again, there's going to be serious doubts about that. And the one thing I would, will say is that the players did seem like at least one of the reactions of the players to indicate, like, what are we doing kind of on the sideline? And so that does reduce the confidence level of the players and the coaching staff.
0: When he was crying, the the viral video of the player crying, saying what is happening. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And you want want to hear their schedule, Reiner? Mm -hmm. They go to North Carolina next week. Then they host Clemson. And then they still got Florida State and Louisville.
1: Yep. Yep. (laughs) I mean –
0: I mean, I mean, I mean. This could be the way. This this could be the wheels falling off. Yeah, sure. It, it, sure. It's, it's a galvanizing point, though, or a galvanizing moment, right? Like, which way are we going to go?
1: Right. Exactly. And it, it could I be. don't
0: trust in Cristobal <laughs> to be the leader to bring him up.
1: Well, they. Well, I don't know about Cristobal. I, I do think that it shakes the players' confidence in the coaching staff that they are making the right calls and that they should have. Invest kind of, that kind of faith in them because in this case they uh, basically betrayed them with their uh, stupidity uh, and not nailing kne- the ball. And so it's it's been uh, it, it, it's it's again a, a decision that won't be lived down by Mario Cristobal. It's going to trail him the rest of the time. It's going to basically uh, cast a pall over this entire season for Miami. You know, regardless of what happens from here on out. It's uh, again. A huge, huge blunder.
0: It will. And speaking of teams that are going to lose four football games this year, USC would like to enter the chat. Um, I mean, <laughs> I mean, falling down seventeen nothing at home to Arizona, surviving in triple overtime yet again. Why an underdog cannot go for two in overtime when you're going to need to run a two point conversion no matter what is beyond me beyond me Reiner these I mean (laughs) I hate that football guys are football guys you know what I mean because a lot of them it's it's why you appreciate a Mike McDonald um or Mike Mike McDonald like the Dolphins coach not Michigan not Michigan's all I mean although I I never met him I'm sure he's good football mind too or a Jim Harbaugh like these people who aren't just gonna just brain fart and just not know what they're doing and I'm not saying that's what uh, Mike McDaniel. Thank you, uh, Andrew, our our producer, saving me in the chat. The Dolphins uh, coach, uh, yeah. his name is Mike McDaniel, not Mike McDonald. Thank you. Um, but in any event, I've been trying, and I think you said you're on board now uh, on the USC is a fraud train because it's 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 just they're they're no good. Um, I I can't believe they escaped, they escaped again, and the the game next week has certainly lost some juice. Uh, at Notre Dame. They were both top 10 this week, now both coming off losses. Uh, or actually, I guess Notre Dame or USC did not lose, excuse me, but both coming off not great performances. Um, and then, I mean, they're going to have to go to Notre Dame, then they have to play Utah, and then they do get a reprieve with Cal, but they get Washington, Oregon, and UCLA. Mm-hmm. After. And so and what, what did you think of what they did against Arizona? Because Caleb Williams is tremendous, but That's not enough.
1: No, I mean, again, it it goes back. They said that they were going to fix the defense. It was going to get better, and it just really hasn't shown it. Alex Grinch. Alex Grinch has continued to be a liability for them, and the entire defense is a liability. I mean, you you can't win without defense. I I mean, even in this age of offense uh, in college football, you still need a competent defense. I mean, that's part of the reason why, again, like some of these elite teams – yeah, uh, have fallen off a little bit. I mean, including Clemson and Alabama. You know, they're not as dominant because they don't have as good defense as, as they did in those those periods of time when they were you know going to the college football playoff championship game annually. And so, uh, defense still is so important. Uh, and look at Georgia. I mean, the last couple of years, I mean, they've had a elite level defense, and they're the national champions. And so. Uh, you can't win this way. I mean, again, Lincoln Riley, when he had the OU teams, they were getting blown out in that CFP. Uh, and so um, I just I don't see USC as a, as a real contender because they can't be this one-dimensional or one-sided, I should say. I mean, we're, they have a really good offense, but they just can't stop anybody.
0: I mean, just put them against Michigan in your mind, right? Like right. They're going to score. They're going to score. Right. Like right. Michigan will, will struggle to stop them from scoring. Sure. Michigan will never not score. And eventually Michigan will make the adjustments to slow them a little bit and not just give up touchdowns and stop them. That's not gonna happen the other way. They're just incapable. I mean, you have receivers running open. You have I I, I mean running backs just gallivanting through arm tackles. Uh, I I mean it's just I don't even know what system they run. Uh, but it but it's horrendous. Uh it, it it's pretty offensive. Um you were going to say?
1: No, I just think again, it's, uh, it's a, it's a a huge, you know, flaw in their, in their whole team concept. I mean, again, you can't have such a bad portion of your team uh, (laughs) and it being half your team. I mean, it's a, it's, it's defense optional at USC and that's not good.
0: Mm, Yeah. yeah, Right. Yeah. Riley's uh, loyalty to Alex Grinch, uh,
1: will uh, it, be as yeah, yeah yeah, it'll be his a undoing. yeah as, a, it, as it relates yeah. to the national title discussion I mean uh, again they say if you match Lincoln Riley with you know if you had a venable style defensive coordinator I mean that they probably would be very much in the running for a national title and uh I just think even in this day and age with high powered offenses uh you know, if if you can match a really good defense with that, uh, I mean, you're going to put yourself in position. And again, Georgia doesn't have like, you know, this kind of a super dynamic offense. They have a good, efficient offense, but they haven't, you know, they've had an elite defense and they've been the national champions the last two years and have a good shot at winning it the you know, third straight year. I mean,
0: defense wins championships is the saying, right? They don't say offense wins championships. Um, right. And and just to put a bow on the USC thought the the argument was that nobody in the big 12 plays defense, it's tough to recruit Norman, but we can do anything in in, in LA. Right. Like, and so once Lincoln goes to USC, I, I mean, that's, that was the idea of why you bring a struggling Alex Grinch along for the ride. And, uh, it's just, I mean, it's just been more of the same. Um, and so the last team I want to think about, and pretty quickly, because we, we got to get going, uh, Ohio State, who, if you just look at a box score, 37-17, uh, got a push uh, against the spread. But for anybody who saw, it was anything but for the first three quarters. Um, Maryland was up 10 to nothing early It should have been at worst thirteen nothing, maybe as much as twenty one. What what did you make of Ohio State and and I guess and then when you when you look at Notre Dame, right? Like I mean, you think of Ryan Day and his big how thought about the tough team and going on the road and beating Notre Dame. Now that was a big win. I don't want to just take away from it, but Notre Dame just got just lost by a couple scores to Louisville. You know, right? I mean, they've yeah, lost right. twice. They've lost twice now, and they barely beat Duke. They could have three losses. So, and it, you don't want to transitive property college football too much because eventually, Old Dominion is the national champion. But, but when like there's there are signs that Ohio State, like again, this this Ohio State is not the Ohio State.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, uh, they were missing Travion Henderson, but, and I think McCord showed that he, he can play at a top level. I mean, this was, I think, his best performance, and he seems to be building some momentum. So that was a good aspect, but this team does not seem like, the again, the teams that were towards the end of the Urban Meyer era, the beginning of the Ryan Day era, uh, that are just, you know, wiping teams off the, you know, off the field and not having any issue whatsoever. So I don't think they're as quite as dominant as those teams. And again, I mean it's it's played out these last couple of weeks. I mean they've been in some dog fights with Notre Dame and now Maryland. And I don't think either Notre Dame or Maryland are, you know, great teams by any means. So I think I think it's gonna be nip and tuck all the way for Ohio State, especially when they play a good competition. That Penn State game's gonna be a real bellwether game for them. I mean it really is. I mean you know who? Who knows what happens there? I mean, maybe Ohio State can conjure up something, and maybe they're holding stuff back, and and you know, or just haven't reached that level. But I don't think they've they've hit their stride yet. And if the if they have, they're in for a rude awakening.
0: There you go. There you go. I was going to say they they better hope this is not their stride right. because this looks more like a saunter uh, right. than, a, than a stride or a gallop. Um, two weeks, uh, thirteen days now. Uh, when. Uh, Ohio State hosts Penn State uh, in Columbus on October 21st. In between there, Reiner, uh, probably you know it's going to be gray. You know it's probably going to rain. A little trip to West Lafayette. I mean, I have seen Iowa and Purdue. No teams knock off Ohio State. I swear, more than those two. Now Purdue might be such booty cheeks that they not <laughs> that they might not be able to. Right? I mean, they're. I mean, they are. Her- like it's just just awful, however, uh, I mean little trap game I think that has got trap game written all over it. I
1: I don't know if it's a trap game because one, everybody's aware of Purdue and their ability to sometimes the, the, fall.
0: the spoiler makers
1: and then yes, and then uh, the other idea is that Ohio State really hasn't hit its stride again, so like why would why would they even overlook anybody at this point? I mean they just again, they just left this game. Uh, probably thinking they, uh, you know, they're they're somewhat fortunate, just given how they were finally able to find something to be able to kind of, and you know, usually it's the the Maryland that ends up shooting itself in the foot, and there, it's always the always. case, yeah. Yeah, it's, always, yeah. So they can't ever get out of their own way, even when it looks like they have a shot. So it just they end up they end up falling in the end, and that's what happened. And so, um yeah, I don't think Ohio State feels as confident or cocky enough to overlook Purdue given how, you know, they've had some struggles these last couple games. I mean, not everything has been even close to perfect.
0: Yeah. And if you're not overlooking this Purdue team that's already lost to Syracuse that, uh, I mean, just lost to an anemic Iowa team, uh, has a third loss, I believe, as well. And, that I mean, I'm not saying you should just overlook everyone because we know what Michigan players and coaches would be telling us the next game. Be where your feet are, blah blah blah. But we know what they'd actually be really thinking about is to is the big one. Um If Ohio State is not in a position in its program or in its how it's playing to really be focusing on Penn State, knowing it's going to take care of business against Purdue, that tells me everything I need to know about about where things are. Sure, uh, at, at the halfway point of the season, uh, and and that and that's where we are. And Reiner, I feel we're hitting our stride at the halfway point of the season, still undefeated, six uh, and zero, baby, and and we're gonna we're gonna keep it rolling. Uh, you know, maybe we took a little loss this week because we did promise, I promised to or said that we would get into basketball uh, on this episode. There was no time. Um, there was much too much to talk about uh, football wise. I am still in Minneapolis right now. And I will be until Tuesday because it is Big Ten Media Day support basketball. Um, and so we will, I will, uh, Michigan is actually sending Saudi Washington. So Jawan Howard, uh, head coach, uh, had heart surgery. He will not be there. Phil Martelli, we were told, uh, acting head coach, uh, would be, evidently not. <laughs> Got an email. Uh, third time's the charm, Saudi Washington. So I'm not sure how much we will be able to glean, but I will ask whatever we can, uh, Olivia come for the transfer from Tennessee is coming to Marin Burnett, uh, the transfer from Alabama and Jace Howard, who, uh, is now going to be a captain for the second year in a row. Um, it appears, um, we'll, will we'll accompany the team as well. So we're going to, we're going to talk basketball off the top of the next show. I believe <laughs> unless something crazy happens and then we'll get into Michigan, Indiana, uh, before before we look at the picks. So that was just a little look ahead. Reiner, are you fully prepped for basketball season?
1: I'm not. I don't even know what basketball is. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, you have 48 to 72 hours uh, to, to, to get fully ready. My, I'm also an AP voter for basketball. I believe my vote is due this week. I'm. It's really tough to act like I've turned the basketball mind on right now. I mean, it's just it, – it's, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard, and it's especially hard – when the team we are covering is number two in the nation and the basketball team is looking like it won't be number two in the nation,
1: you could say. Not even close. Yeah.
0: No, no, uh, I, don't, I don't think so. So uh, don't worry. We're going to keep it football focused. But Michigan, I mean, there are not 10 teams who have had a better basketball program the past 10 years than Michigan. And it's upsetting that, or not upsetting, it's the wrong word. It's too bad that it looks like that's not the trajectory this season will be on. However, you never know. Uh, I think this defense will be markedly improved, um, and there are sometimes, there is a thing called addition by subtraction, uh, there may be a little bit of that going on too, so we'll, we'll get into all of it, there's lots of storylines, um, but before we go... Many, many thanks to uh, all the people who do it once again, Editor-in-Chief Nicole Avery-Nichols, Executive Editor Anjanette Delgado, Sports Editor Kirkland Crawford, Audio Engineer Robin Chan, and Sports Editor and our show's producer Andrew Burkle. Uh, For Reiner, I'm Tony. Enjoy your week.